Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 this morning. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul writing here says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all things in heaven, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You may be seated. I hope this morning the Lord will add to the reading and the hearing of His Word. This passage this morning that Paul writes for us right after the end of chapter 3 with his prayer for spiritual strength, he then turns and what we have beginning here is more of the practical application of what he has said for the first three chapters. Paul's letters often would be formed like this. He would talk about the theology behind the argument that he was making and then he would lay out for them the, the practical part of that. And really, chapter 4, the beginning verses here, provides for us kind of a, a transition, if you will, between the two. And these verses are, are just, they're full of interesting information about how you and I are to live. And so often, I think, when we begin to talk about the gifts that we have in Christ the gifts that He has given us because we are His children and His followers. I, I think when we begin to talk about those gifts, sometimes we get way off course about, about the reasoning behind why God has gifted us as His children. 
I, I think we sometimes miss the point completely. And so I, I want this morning to bring into focus during our time together the reason that God has gifted all of us who are a part of His body. Why has God done that? He begins by talking about our need to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. One way that we can think about this is, as one commentator had put, if you would imagine with me that we are all members of a very reputable family. I think unfortunately in the time in which we live, many of the reputable families have had children who have not well held up the reputation of their family, but if you go back a few generations, we know that there were, in our nation as there are around the world, some families that just seemed to rise above the rest. Their reputations became so powerful that, that when you would hear that name, it would mean something. When you would hear that family name, it would say something. We understand that politically there are names like that in our nation. There are the Kennedys. When you hear Kennedy, that says something. It means something. When you hear the Bushes, there have been two of them presidents and two of them governors. We, we understand that their name means something and their family has a certain reputation. If we were members of one of those families it most likely would be important to us or at least impressed upon us that when you're out in public, when you're doing things out in public, you need to take note of what you're doing because it reflects on the family. It reflects on the name. And so Paul's argument here starts out by us needing to think about the fact that we do belong to a family. Not only a family, but the family, the most important family, the most reputable family. As a part of God's family, he tells us, beginning here in verses 1 and 2, that we need to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We need to uphold the name. We need to uphold the family to which we have been called and in which we have been made a part. Now, how do we do that? What does that have to do with gifts? Well, we'll see that as we go along. Look how we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Verse 2, he says to walk in all humility. If you think about the two families that I, I just named, they, they may not be marked with humility. And you can't get mad at me. I mentioned both parties. I covered everybody. We could go on and on. There's no one humble when you get inside the beltway of Washington. But we who are called to be a part of the greatest family the most powerful family, the eternal family that will never go away, the family that has all the inheritance of the entire universe, are first and foremost called to be humble. 
This is how we conduct ourselves in our community. This is how we conduct ourselves in our relationships with other people. We walk with humility. Second, he says, all humility and gentleness. We are called to be gentle people. We are called to have a heart of compassion toward others. This is a distinction of our calling. It is a distinction of being a part of God's family. We walk with gentleness. Thirdly, he says we walk with patience, bearing one another in love. We walk with patience. Again, these three things, humility, gentleness, and patience, are not common marks in our culture. We live in a society that is on demand. How do I know this? Well, many of you this morning have a device sitting in your home called a DVR. They've gotten so advanced now, and I personally love it, that, that while all the shows are on during the fall and spring, get this, it, it records all four channels and then gives me the option to select two more channels. So I can record six channels at one time because there's a chance that if something is on Fox, I might miss something on ABC. But I don't have to worry about that anymore. It's all there for me. There's no VCR. There's no punching it in and trying to program it and hoping the power doesn't go out. It just records. We're on demand. We're a proud society. We do not show gentleness, but rather we... We have the mindset that it's all about us and all about us trying to get ahead in life. Not if we're going to walk worthy of our calling. What else does he say? Fourthly, he says, bearing with one another in love. How do we walk in a manner worthy of our calling? We bear with one another. The one another here is not just talking about people out there in the world. As a matter of fact, it's not talking about people out there in the world. It's talking about us. How do we demonstrate to other people that Christ is King and that He has made an impact in our life if we do not bear with one another in love? If we do not show love with each other? And yet that's called to be a mark. It's called to be a sign of what God has done in our life. How sad it is that we know so many churches that truly they, they don't love each other. They, they can't stand each other. They don't want to be together. They don't want to show each other love. They don't want to be affectionate to one another. They don't want to help one another. They don't want to bear with one another. You, you wonder sometimes, and I have been in these churches, you wonder sometimes why any of them come at all. How sad it is. Because they may not even realize it. But an outsider can step in and know within a moment the way they feel toward one another. And fifthly here, walk in a worthy, or walk in a worthy manner, the, the fifth thing he gives here is that they are eager, he says, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I don't think it's by chance that he gives that last one last and right before he goes into the rest of his argument. If we are going to be the people that God has called us to be, if we are going to take our gifts and we are going to use them in a manner most uh, acceptable to God, 
and most useful to God, it will be because we are eager for unity. Now, so often we have a false sense of unity. But what he is talking about here is a genuine sense where our hearts are drawn together and our abilities are used together for the service of the kingdom. He begins to lay that out in verse 4. Why? Why is it so important for us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit? Look, verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit. The The only way that you and I will ever be what God has called us to be as a church The only way we'll ever be that as a group of believers is if we come to the conclusion and stand firm on the fact that there is just one. There's just one. There is one body. Now, when we talk about the church, we can be talking about two different senses. We can be talking about there is just one church, the universal church of God's people, for all time, but also when we realize that God has called us to be one body here at First Baptist Iker, God will do amazing things for us. We're not a collection of smaller churches. We can never be a collection of anything but believers collected into one body. Look, He says one body in verse 4. He says one spirit in verse 4. Look, he also says one hope there in verse 4. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. What is he talking about there? Remember, he is talking to Gentile believers who were not a part of God's family. They had not been a part of what God had been doing. And so he is reminding them here that their only hope was what? It was Christ. Their only hope was to be found in Jesus. It it wasn't found anywhere else. For the Jews, it wasn't found in the law. For the Gentiles, it wasn't found in becoming a Jew or in their false religious practices. Their only hope was in Christ. He goes on, he says, there is one Lord in verse 5. He says there is one faith. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Where is the, who is the Lord? It is Christ. Where is their faith found? In Christ. Who are they baptized into? They're baptized into Christ. There's nothing else. There's one God in verse 6. There is one Father. And look at this Father. He is of all and over all and through all and in all. Everything about God points to Him being one. Now we understand that God has revealed Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there is one God. He has given us one way to Him through His Son, Christ. He has given one Spirit that dwells within us. Do you see how Paul's argument is shaping up here? So often churches will decide that there are two, or there are three, or there are four. 
And they'll get into groups and they'll do things as this and they'll do things as that. And it doesn't matter if there are 50 people in the church or 5,000 people in the church. They will begin to just go in their own direction. Move their own way. And Paul says, listen, we need to come together and realize that, that we have to be one. We have to be one together in Christ. Now, what's interesting, after making this argument of being one, where does he go? What does he begin to talk about? He begins to talk about being different. And, and this is odd. This is odd if you don't take the time to think about it. Why would he just talk about all of us being one in Christ and, and being one together and then begin to talk about us separately? Because the reality is that while we are one, he has brought all of us together with different gifts, with different abilities, with different desires in our heart, with different ambitions. He has brought us all together and he tells us as one function together. I love the picture of the body because if, if he didn't give us that image, I think we would, we would lose something in understanding how it works. Because all of us know that any, at any one time our body is doing multiple things that keep us alive. Like if right now the only thing that my body was thinking about is getting words to come out of my mouth, I would have some serious issues very quickly. I would be on the ground, which some of you would find funny, and, you know, I've heard that I would be laughed at. My heart would stop beating, my lungs would stop breathing. My eyes would not be open, I would not be taking in things, I would not be hearing things. If, if the only thing my body could do was one thing at this one time, we would be in a world of trouble. But our body has multiple things going on at any one time. It is going in many different directions. We are multitasking. We are working on different things. We have, it takes multiple parts of our body to carry out one task. And so he tells them that you are one in Christ, and yet there are a multitude of things going on at any one time. Look at the gifts that he talks about, beginning in verse 7. He says, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ has given us gifts. He has given us first the gift of His grace. And by giving us His grace, He has enabled you and I to do a myriad of things for the kingdom. And the truth about it is that we do not function as a body of Christ if we function on half a body. If you think about it like this, a little less than a year ago I had a friend of mine who was a, a deacon in our church and he was working. And he, makes, he takes sheet metal and he molds it into... Um, uh, air ducts, and he was using a press, and it's a, a, a very big press that would, would bend the metal, and his fingers got caught. He ended up losing three of his fingers 
when, when the press came down and it, it smashed them. Well, why, why could they not fix that? Well, see, once you have destruction like that, where part of the body is cut off and, and it can't get blood to it, it's only a matter of time until it doesn't work. That's why folks who are diabetic, who have such circulation problems in their feet, will often lose a toe or their foot at some point. Why? Because they, there's no circulation. They, they can't heal when there's an injury. There's, there's nothing there. If you and I do not become the part of the body that God has for us, if we, do not, if we are not molded into the body where we become a part of the body that helps the body function, what happens? There's something that's not working, right? Like if you're supposed to be the arm and you're not being the arm, we got a problem. We don't have an arm anymore. How are we supposed to use the arm when it's not there? If you're supposed to be the eyes of the body and you decide, well, you know, I'm going to take the day off. I'm going to take the week off or the year off. I'm not going to be the eyes anymore. Then how do we know where we're going? If you're the ears, how are we going to hear? He says in verse 7, we have been given gifts by God's grace. When he calls you to his family, he enables you to be a part of what he is doing with that body. Secondly, he says in verse 11 that the gifts are diverse. I'm skipping 8 through 10. If you look, Paul gives an aside there, and, and we'll look at it at some other time. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. He gives a variety of gifts. You're not all gifted the same. Some of you may look at another person's gift and go, I wish I had that. Well, guess what? God didn't give you that gift. It's too bad. Why did he not do it? I don't know. Some of you can't sing. You are with me in that choir that should be silent. Okay, you can't sing. I'm sorry. Don't sing. We might not want to have our ears pierced like that. Trust me, you don't want me up here as one of the four unless my mic's turned off. But you know what? Maybe you can do something else. Some of you would be terrified to have to walk up here and do what some of those teenagers did today. Which I don't think they even knew they were going to do beforehand. Which is smooth. Okay, then stay off the stage. Sit in the back. But what has God gifted you to do? It's something. And if you look at your life and you say, God has gifted me to do nothing, then you're lost. Because God has gifted each one of His children with something. It's through His grace that we have these gifts. He has gifted us with some ability. Now maybe your ability doesn't seem to be that important. Maybe you think, my gift is, my gift is riding a car to someone who is hurting. That's not very important, right? Except it's the gift of encouragement. Maybe your gift is to... You're really good at cleaning up stuff. Not like messes when people fight. And you know, like, you're really good at vacuuming floors. Okay. 
you're, you're really good at just listening to somebody. All right. That gift, to me, is not less important than the ability to teach a Sunday school class or to give a Sunday morning sermon. God has given us a diversity of gifts and tells us to use them. Why? Not because, this is where we miss it, and if you get nothing else out of this, this is what I want you to get. We have these gifts not because they're going to do something great for us, not because they're going to take us somewhere or make us someone, but look what he says next. This is why we have these gifts. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Why does God let me preach? So that I can equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And then look at the second part, for the building up of the body of Christ. Whatever gift that you have, whatever God has enabled you to do, it is not for your own benefit. It is not for the benefit of your spouse. It is not for the benefit of your children. Your gift is for the benefit of the saints. Your gift is for training the saints and equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, you may say that sounds like, uh, you know, I guess it sounds like communism, right? Communism is supposed to be all for the greater good. Well, your gift is for our benefit. That may not sound good to you. You may want to use it for your benefit. That's fine. You can answer to God about that on Judgment Day because I'm not going to. Your gift on this side of the room is for the benefit of these people sitting over here. And the gifts that they have are for your benefit. And the gifts of the people here in the middle, they benefit everybody else. That is how we work in unity. That is how we function as a body. Go back to that mindset. My eyes see things, right? Now, some of you know, apparently last week, they didn't see that knife going through the watermelon very well. But normally, they see things that prevent me from hurting myself. Oh, look, there's a car pulled out in front of me. My eyes see it. My brain uses my foot to stop with the brake. My eyes didn't do that just to benefit themselves. Sure, my eyes didn't go through the windshield in the car wreck, but neither did the rest of me. When I get hungry, my stomach tells my mind, hey, Use your hands and your feet. Go find food and put it in us. And it does so quite often, which is obvious. That's how you should understand the giftedness that God has given you. It is not for your own benefit that you sing praises to God, but it is for the benefit of all of us in leading us in worship before the throne of grace. It is not just for your benefit that you encourage someone, but the fact that as a body we need to be encouraged. It is for the equipping of the saints and the building up of the body. What does it help us do? Verse 13. If we have these gifts, if we are using them appropriately, verse 13 tells us that first, until we attain the unity of faith. Now, look at this. This is what is so interesting. 
This is kind of how God works on most things. If God gives us gifts, we use them for the body. It draws us closer together, which causes us to use our gifts more. Do you, do you see how this works? As God equips us, as God gives us gifts, we use them, they draw us together, and then we use them more. Because I think the reality is, for the most part, many people have more than one gift. It's not as if the only thing you have is encouraging people, and you can do nothing else. But as we use our gifts and as we draw together, God gives us more. So we attain the unity of the faith and, look at this, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. When you exercise your gift for the body, people come to know Christ more. People come to understand who He is. If you have a gift of service and you serve people, and you do so in Christ's name, what it does is give them the picture of what Christ has done. That He was a servant, and He has called you to be a servant. When you exercise your gifts, people grow in their knowledge of God. He says thirdly there, to mature manhood. We mature when we use our gifts. We mature when the body is experiencing the gifts of the saints. He'll say later in verse 14, that we should no longer be children. Think about it. When the Bible talks about being children, it's what? It's coming to faith. He says we have to come like children, fully dependent on God. But as we grow, we put off the childish things, and we mature in our faith. Friends, if, if you're not exercising the gifts that God has given you, that is a sign that you are not mature in your faith. It's the bottom line. Because exercising our gifts is a sign of maturity and it matures others. Fourthly here, he says, for the fullness of Christ. He says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If you think back to last week, back into chapter 3, Verse 19, he says, To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. He means that we begin to act like Christ. So he says for us that if we, as the body, are exercising our gifts, if we are growing in our faith, that we will begin to look and act like Christ. We begin to point people toward Christ. If we are going to become the people of God who have an impact on our community, who have an impact on our state and our nation and around the world, it will be because we are drawn together to use the things that God has given us. He closes out with this in verses 14 through 16. What happens when we exercise personally? Look, this is what's going to happen when we exercise our gifts. Verse 14, he says it'll help us to grow up. He says so that we're no longer like children. 
He says, next, that we're tossed to and fro by, what, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. In other words, we'll stop being fickle with what we believe. When we're using our gifts, when we're exercising them, when we are being in unity with one another, we'll stop going back and forth with these things. In the verse 14, he says it'll prevent deceit. He says, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, those things will be gone. Verse 15, we will begin to speak the truth in love. And then 15 at the end, we'll be made like Christ. Friends, this is what the exercise of our gifts does. It's not just so that you won't lose it. You know, I hear that, you know, if you don't use what Christ has given you, you're going you're gonna to lose it. Wow, you know, that's, some of you don't care. I mean, some of you would think, hey, I won't have to sing anymore. If I can't sing well anymore, nobody will call on me. You know, if I can't teach anymore, nobody's going to ask me to teach Sunday school anymore. That'll be gone. I won't get bugged with it. That's a pretty sorry reason, isn't it? We'll lose it. How about if we don't? If we don't use the gifts that God has given us, we will never be in the state of unity that God has called us to. If we don't have that as our core conviction, if we don't believe that with everything within us, we will never be what God has called us to be. We exercise these gifts because God has given us His grace and shown them to us, and they make us one together. And he closes with this, if you look in verse 16. He closes with this fact. When every part is working properly, we build ourselves up in love. He says, from whom the whole body, talking about Christ, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The church builds itself up when the gifts that God has given us are working together. When Christ, who is our head, has joined us together, joint by joint, part by part, the body builds itself up in love. See, this is where we miss it so often. We think, well, if we start this program, or if we do this event, or if we have this going on, that will surely do it. That will surely build our body up. If we have this Bible study, if we read this book, that will build us up. He says, if you want to be built up, it comes from the body being unified together. It comes from us functioning as one. God has brought all of us together. He has given us all that we need. He has given us every resource, whether it be financial, whether it be personnel. He has given us everything that we need. So we work together, and that builds us up. My friends, this morning, we... We've got to work together. I don't want to say come together, because we are together. But now our goal has to be to work together. 
Our goal has to be to exercise our gifts. Some of you are sitting on the sidelines and not doing that. Some of you are not applying the gifts that God has given you. And the question is why? Yes, it might be hard. It might consume time. It might take effort. But God has gifted you so that you can work for his body. So often we easily will put our efforts in a million different places. But God has called us to bring our giftedness here and to work together. Not for ourselves, not for our reputation, not for our name, but for His kingdom. For His kingdom that will never end and His glory that will shine forever. We are called to come together, to be gifted together, and to be unified. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we, God, I am, I'm beyond grateful, God, that I can serve a church where you have gifted so many with so much. God, our resources are never-ending. God, your grace is abundantly sufficient. But God, I pray that we would, even today, unify around our common goal. God, of proclaiming your gospel, of working for your kingdom. God, there are some, God, there are some here who have their gifts and they're, they hold tightly to them. God, they, they're not using them the way they could. God, I pray that they would release them this morning. God, if I have things that, God, that I'm not using. God, if there are ways that you have gifted me that, that I'm not using for the uplifting of this body, God, I pray that, God, you would show them today. God, that we would all use our giftedness to build up your body, to equip your saints for ministry. God, so that we would begin to look more like you. God, so that our body, that our vision, that our goals, would, God, would reflect yours. God, I trust that we have exactly what we need. And God, I pray that we would use that this morning. God, that we'd, we would use it tomorrow that we would use it in the weeks and the months and the years to come to build up your kingdom. God, we praise you for who you are and for what you've done. And God, I pray this this morning in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning, and we're going to sing in just a moment, but I would ask you this. Many of you are stretched thin. You, you, you spend an abundance of time working here and for the ministries of our church. But regardless of the time that you spend or the things that you do, I would ask you this morning, if God has gifted you with something that you know our body is lacking, that He's gifted you with something that you know, that you know He's called you to serve here, would you commit to Him this morning? Not to me, not to the people around you, would you commit to Him? But you're going to use the gifts that you've been given.
for the upbuilding of his kingdom as we sing.